The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today we are pleased to bring you part three of our interview with Rabbi Stephen Robbins, who has experienced six near-deaths. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, you can find them by going to our Past Shows button and clicking on the shows of April 1st and 8th, 2019. Rabbi Robbins is a co-founder and past president of the Academy for Jewish Religion in California. With a doctorate in psychology, he specializes in brain science and the application application of Kabbalistic wisdom together with scientific knowledge as a means of healing physical and emotional trauma. In today's show, Rabbi Robbins discusses retaining our individuality when we return to God, the nature of ghosts, fallen angels, the separation of Eve from Adam, and the purpose and joy of sex. Will we maintain our individuality at that point, or are we merging together as part of the light of God? No, no, that whatever would will ultimately be that merging back into the original source from which we came is, quote, a long way, unquote, from where we are as we pass out of this world. And we do retain our individual consciousness. So there's a there's a way to understand this every time. Um, a patriarch, a prophet, uh, a rabbi uh, uh, is called. Their name is called twice by God. Moses is called Moses. Moses, Abraham is Abraham. Abraham, each of them. And the prophets afterwards, Isaiah, uh, Amos, uh, Jeremiah, all hear their names called. The most interesting story is of Samuel. Um, When Samuel uh, is born, his mother, Hannah, uh, prayed to God to become pregnant, and she commits to bringing the child that's born to serve at the altar with the high priest, uh, Eliezer, who's um, there serving in the tent of meeting at Shiloh or Shiloh. And the um and so she brings Samuel there and the word Shemuel means God is heard. Uh, so Samuel is sleeping and he hears the call Shmuel Shmuel Samuel Samuel. Samuel wakes up, goes into the high priest and the high priest says, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Remember, he goes back to sleep and then he hears Shmuel, Shmuel. He wakes up. He goes into the high priest. And again, master, you called. At that moment, the high priest looks at him and says, Shmuel, go back to sleep. And if you hear the, your name called again twice, answer, Hineni. What is Hineni? Hineni is a contraction of the words Hine and Ani. 
which most people, the word he named means here. It also can mean here and now. And the ani is the word I, which is generally translated as here I am. Yes. But it really means something different, which is here am I. The I is in the word identity. I is in, in the Hebrew. It is the I, that individuality of our being that we make present. That I is the extension of the unique I of God's presence, which in which the first called commandment begins with the phrase, Anochi Elohecha, Asher Hotseti Mi Eretz Mitzrayim, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Mm-hmm. And the word I, at the beginning of that sentence, is another expression of the word Ani, it is pronounced Anochi, which is, I am that which brought you out of Egypt, and it is similar to the name that the Holy One gives to Moses, um, which is Anochi, I am that I am. In that, in that name, and our Ani in this world, we are saying, here am I, the core, the source, that unique space of existence that you occupy through me. So I am simply a vessel, like a shoe for the soul's foot. And when you say, not here I am, which focuses on the being in this world, and you say, here am I, it is the the deep experience of being one of the great one of which all of us and everything is a spark. Right. Uh, and and that's where this presence joins and we don't cease to exist, but we under we know that this uniqueness, this I, is a fundamental part of the unfolding and then the refolding of existence back into God's presence. And it will be in quote existing for a long, 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 quote, time, unquote. Mm. Does that the, help? Yes. Now, the um, you had said earlier that our bodies only contain a portion of our soul. Where Where is the rest of our soul? Where does it reside? Um, we are attached to it all the time. It is what sustains us. Um, in, in a sense, we live in this paradoxical state we feel our feet resting on the earth which is where we think our attachment is when in fact our attachment is that we are that our souls are suspended from above like each of the Hebrew letters descends from the line above does not sit on the line below And our bodies are attached to the earth because they are affected by gravity. 
and our souls are not. So we both are suspend, we both are connected in our suspension above existence and are connected to existence because gravity holds us to physicality. Mm. Now, if you think of the, the, the primitive image that children draw of the earth, with the people standing on it, they get that we would all fall off if gravity were to cease. Mm. But gravity holds our bodies in place so that when our souls leave, make the transit, our bodies melt back into the earth because they're no longer needed. So what is called the ikar, the root of our soul, is held for us in the world to come. My experience is simply this. When I leave this world and am accompanied by those who help watch me, that it is this root and my connection to it that I follow outward toward the source of my being, this, this I, that is my individual um, presence. Now that that uniqueness is characterized by a concept called the tikkun, that each of us has a place in this existence which we litakain, we rectify, we bring to a sense of a, a being, both physically, ethically spiritually back to another state of health and well-being because each of us is responsible for a piece of existence that only we can do. That's what the I is. It, it has that responsibility for fulfilling a piece of existence that no one else can do. It is the NDE that teaches us what this purpose is and how we get there. Many people with their NDEs don't know how to find that deeper sense of the purpose. And so the the role of the NDE itself is to open up our capacity to perceive the NDE and its message about our tikkun our purpose, our role in this world, and how it is to be both experienced and enacted. That that raises in my mind the question of, um, and I'll ask, how, how does mystical Judaism deal with the notion of ghosts, spirits that seem to not have followed back to followed their route back to the source? Those those have experienced what is called dying either by violence or some other means, even suicide, where, where they will not accept uh, that they have, quote, died, unquote. And so they, they resist and reject the image of what is called ascent or moving outward into another realm from the physical because what they expect is that 
they will consistently experience and re-experience what it is that led them to die. And what we call ghosts are in fact those presences which are trapped here, but in some way or another have a relationship to us and through us back to healing. So the way, the way many Jews deal with it is simply this. As a result of the, the, the centuries of persecution of Jews in Europe and in Asia, but most specifically in Europe, there are millions of Jewish souls that have died in violence and many of them are trapped in this world because of the the anguish, the fear in which their souls disconnected from the physical. And what they do is attach to one of us or several of us. And they they ride with us through our lives so that when we leave here, they will go with us. And that gives them the the experience of finally feeling safe so that there are many of those souls that have been attached to me each time I go over, but I wasn't aware that that was happening until much later in what is called my living and that as I got older or more importantly, more mature about all of this, that I became aware of their presences and what I was doing both for them and then with them. So, so there, there are no ghosts. There are these trapped presences and they're about teaching us. Now, sometimes oh, there are our guides who themselves have been given the assignment to come back as guides to help us through the, through our stage of transit through to one world and then back into this one and then back and forth. So there are a number of those presences experienced in different ways everywhere from angels to demons. Mm. Wow. That's, that's quite a different perception. Yes. So, so but, I've, but, but, but you're I've saying that we can to deal with them and have, have to help them leave here and go and take the next transit. Are ghosts experiencing the presence of demons? Yes, they are. It's part of why they're afraid to go on. And demons themselves are, are essentially twisted angels. Which takes us back to the watchers in Genesis 6. <laughs> yes. That's that story of the Nephilim. What what does mystical Judaism say about that? Well, the word Nephilim, which are translated as giants, comes from the word Nafal, which means fallen. So they are not giants, they are the fallen ones. Fallen angels. And and these fallen ones are those angelic or or mystical messengers who 
when the Holy One comes to them as a result of, uh, I guess I have to back up, it's because not going to make any sense otherwise. As God withdraws um, to leave this great vacated space at the core of divine being, for the first time there is this template of what existence can be and there is both a a, a positive, uh, growthful, or we would call good capacity, and there is a peace that's dark, that what is called evil. And essentially it descends from those, or from one specific malach, when they were all asked by the Holy One, will you re-enter into a agreement between us to serve the presence of, of bringing existence to completion and all of them but one say yes. There is one that says you created me to feel what it's like to be separate from you so that we rejoin. We do it with a sense of gratitude that we've had this experience and can rejoin you. Well, I'm so angry at having to come into existence that I don't want to remerge with you. Since you separated me and, and created me in this form, then I'm going to stay here and, and will serve you out of conflict rather than out of unification. And 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 the Holy One responds, even you serve me by by doing what it is you intend to do, which is disruption. And the one of the most fundamental meanings of the word that refers to evil is in a an ancient word from um the original language that that Hebrew and Arabic come from. And the meaning of that word means disruption. So what we call evil is that presence which takes what is put together and then tears it apart, which is what evil does. It takes yes. the fabric of existence, which is good, which is good enough to exist, and evil tears it apart and essentially throws it in God's face and says, there, fix it. Mm. And, um, and demons, what we call demons, descend from that presence, which has both a male and a female side, mirroring the positive side of God's presence, which is also male and female. And the story of the Garden of Eden is disruption between the male and the female. Exactly. Hmm. Would you like to know how that happens? Sure. It begins with um, Adam that comes into the world. In Genesis, in the first chapter of Genesis, it says, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. And so um, God created Adam. He created him male and female, 
He created them. So suddenly there is this atom that is whole, and then that atom becomes male and female, or masculine and feminine. And something happened there that the text doesn't explain until you get to chapter two and the, and the separation of Adam into Adam and Eve. And the way the rabbis and the mystics explain it in the commentaries of, on the, on, on Bible, which begin before the beginning of the common era, extend back maybe 500 plus years um, and be uh, in into ancient Israel. And what they essentially say is that Adam is androgynous. The original Adam is androgynous, kind of like the Oscar, statue of the Oscar. It's neither male or female. And that, that Adam, the word Adam in Hebrew is, is a contraction of two words. One is Anochi, I, and the other is Dam, blood. And so the Aleph of Ani is reduced just to the Aleph, and the Aleph is a summary of the Holy Presence in this way. The four letters of God's name, yud Hey, vavin Hey, add up to the number 26. Yud is 10, Hey is 5, Vav is 6, and Hey is 5. That's 26. That's always a, a, a number which refers to God's presence coming into this world. The Aleph is composed of two Yuds and a Vav, which is also 26. So while the letter Aleph stands for one in its cardinal state, in its ordinal state, in its secret state, it refers to a summation of God's presence. And those two Yuds with the Vav in between are like two lips with a wind stream Blowing into the world, like the way Adam, uh, by the way, the Holy One breathes into Adam, and the way the Doctor breathes into me. Yes. And and in in the story of Noah, we learn about that that God or the soul is in the blood, which is why we don't eat blood. Mm. So in 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 that case, what happens is the following. God, the first statement about the nature of being human is God's statement, it's not good for man to be alone. Essentially, Adam's response is, I'm not alone, I'm with you. And God's response is, but you were formed here of the particles of existence, so you will be taking care of physicality, the garden for me. And what and what then God says to Adam is go through the garden, meet all the animals that are there, and find yourself what is translated as a helpmate, 
a partner. So Adam goes around to all the animals. He comes back and he says there is no helpmate. And the word for helpmate in Hebrew is two words, ezer, which means help, and konegdo, which means, which is like that that is opposite him. So God says no. So Adam is asleep. Go, as the text says, he goes to sleep. And it says that God formed the, the woman, the, the physical out of Adam's rib. Well, the word for rib is the word tzad, which in this meaning isn't rib. Rib is a, is a literal translation. The mystical translation is one of his sides. Ah. So it's not his rib, it's his female or his feminine side is separated from his masculine and they turn to face each other in the garden. And according to the mystical comments, they, they bond with each other, which is the primary bond instead of the one that Adam has directly to God. The question is, how do they bond? And the one medieval commentator, a man named Ibn Ezra, who's not a mystic, who's a rational, says, Lahish Tom Shim Hotam, they functioned with each other as they were meant to do. Which means what, Lee? Well, making, pro- procreating? Yeah, no, it's not procreating. They had intercourse. Okay. Because. But leading to procreation. <laughs> no. See, and that's no. the difference. Oh, okay. The purpose, the rabbi's comment is that the purpose of intercourse is for joy, not procreation. Oh, procreation like is the result of the joy, not the result of the intercourse. That's so lovely. What, what yeah. is joy in intercourse? Orgasm, right? Yes, yes. It, except there's a problem, is that male orgasm is easily accomplished sometimes even too quickly. Female orgasm doesn't happen that quickly. It takes time, especially at the beginning, to help it emerge. And so the role of a male, according to the tradition, is making sure that his wife has an orgasm before he has his, which means that in order for joy to be accomplished, the uh, orgasm is a woman's right and a man's responsibility. Mm. Now, when they're making love in the garden and they both cry out in joy, the serpent, who is serving a different function, leaves that function, which I'll describe in a minute, and turns his head and he looks into the garden. He is attracted by the the noise, the sound they're making of their joy. And it attracts him because he's never experienced hearing and feeling anything like the, the trembling and the joy which they cry out together. And as he enters and he sees their souls merge into one, 
he becomes jealous and then he becomes envious. Mm. And there's a huge difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy is about, look what they've got. I wish I had that. Envy is something much deeper. The, the psychology and the biology of envy is that I, that is wonderful. I wish I could have that, but I don't deserve it, which uh-huh. is why I wasn't created in a way that could have it. And so if I can't have it, then I won't let them have it, which is how envy leads us to evil. Uh-huh. So the serpent, when when Eve is walking in the garden alone, appears to her next to the tree. She's startled because the serpent is around the tree. And she says, you're not supposed to touch, to eat from the tree or even touch it. So the serpent trips her or pushes her. She lands against the tree. She steps back and the serpent says, see, you didn't die. And so he says to her, the Holy One, God, doesn't want you to eat from the tree because in the moment you do, remember, your eyes will be open, knowing that, and you will be like God, be knowing like, uh, the knowing good, yeah. between good and evil. Well, it looks like we're just about out of time for today, but our interview with Rabbi Robbins continues again next week. If listeners would like to hear today's program again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out their website at iands.org. And tune in again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio with Rabbi Stephen Robbins. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.